Hey, yo, welcome back to the Generators Podcast with me, Trent McClellan. How are you right now? Hmm? Holidays are over. 2020 has begun. And, and, and how are you feeling? Are you glad the holidays are over? Are you glad to get back to a regular schedule? Or are you kind of missing, missing the, missing the crowds, missing family members? Maybe the house seems a little bit more bare now that all the decorations are down. Huh? Is that what you're going through? Well, I hope this episode of the podcast cheers you up, huh? That's what I'm here to do, to be your friend. Just kind of going through your earpods here, just going, hey, sharing some stories with people, huh? That's what it's all about. Happy 2020. I hope you're good. I hope you're well. Hope you did enjoy the break if you had one. And uh, you know what? The winter won't last forever, people. You know, we have seasons. Yeah, it's going to be crap. I'm currently in Halifax, Nova Scotia right now. And it is a snow globe situation here right now. Snow is coming sideways, punching the window, trying to get in to my condo. But I'm holding fast and have faith that eventually spring will come. So that's where I'm at with it. And you might be in a similar situation, depending on where you're listening. And if you're on a hot beach somewhere, well, aren't you special? Congratulations. I guess life's just better for you. Way to go. Way to rub it in. Um, yeah, back at work here at 22 Minutes. We just finished our uh, table read today and picked our sketches for tomorrow. So we'll shoot our first ones of 2020 tomorrow. So uh, right back into the grind of it. Good to see everybody and get caught up and uh, hear everyone's holidays went. And now, uh, yeah, back to work. It's what it is, just like everybody else, you know? Real job life, you know, except I get to wear wigs. That's the only difference. The only difference. Okay. So don't at me. Um, Yeah. What else is going on? Back to work. Back in Halifax now after six weeks uh, back in Calgary. And so uh, there wasn't really any snow here until I arrived. And apparently I brought it with me. But it is what it is. It's winter in Canada. We shouldn't come plain. It's a pretty great country. Um, yeah, so, uh, thanks to everybody who's been getting your tickets for the Hunt for Happy Tour. It is fast approaching. First dates are in early March. I kick it off in St. John, New Brunswick. So, uh, you can go to trentscomedy.com and get your tickets. Thanks to everybody who's already done so. Really excited to get back out on the road again. I got a ton of new material that I'm going to be throwing at you for most of the show. And, uh, I'm really excited about it and having a lot of fun with it been doing guest spots around town and stuff and uh, a few here in Halifax coming up this weekend and just really really enjoying my time up on stage and and enjoying the ideas and and silliness that I'm putting out there so and the feedback's been really great too so I'm excited to get back out on the road so again you can go to trendscomedy.com and pick up your tickets for that feel free to do so I appreciate all the support Alrighty, folks, this episode of the uh, Generators podcast is going to be more sports specific, soccer specifically. I talked to Nick Ledgerwood of Calgary, Calgary Cavalry FC of the Canadian Premier Premier League. So that is the uh, new professional soccer league in in Canada that started this season. And um, Calgary had a fantastic season, got all the way to the championship game. Did some damage in the Canadian Championships as well and knocked off a couple of uh, big MLS clubs and had a great season. So I got to sit down with Nick and kind of this first part of the uh, part one of the conversation is going to be more about Nick's kind of start in soccer and 
um, his journey, kind of taking him over to, to Germany and playing with different clubs and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, I think there's some really cool stuff in here in this part one about Nick's parents and kind of the faith that they had in his dream. And I think uh, really, really important for you folks out there who have children, and I don't have kids, but I did work with them, all right? So I do know a little bit about it, all right? So don't, don't be coming at me, you don't have kids. It's like, okay, fine, I don't, but I work with them. But Nick talks a little bit about his parents' just kind of faith and trust in letting him follow his dream. And I know it's gotta be really hard for parents out there, you, uh, you want to make sure your child is safe and that they're making the right decisions. And sometimes you got to go, let them just go follow their path. And I think his parents did an amazing job of doing that. So he talks a little bit about that too in this, um, in this part one. So anyway, enjoy part one of my conversation with Calgary Cavalry FC player Nick Ledgerwood. All right, your mic is working, my mic is working. Perfect. Welcome to the Laugh Shop for the first time, Nick Ledgerwood. Thank you, thank you. I can't believe you've never been in here. Never, hopefully not the last time, this, I'll have to come check it out. Yeah, lots of great acts coming through. Um, how are your holidays? What's the off season been like for you? Um, I've, turned into a, I've turned into a real parent. <laughs> okay, all right. So, sure? <laughs> so during the season, you know, my wife does an amazing job uh, taking care of the kids, making sure the house is still in one piece. And so the off season, uh, for me is kind of, kind of give back some time for her to do her stuff. So, uh, which then, uh, puts me in the real parent dad role. <laughs> uh, we got two little ones, miles. He's j he'll be three in February. Our little girl is 14 months old, so it's it's yeah. chaos. Like yeah. it is, it's fun chaos, but it's chaos. It, there's and holiday always, time is extra chaos. Oh, I'm sure. there's always something going on. So I had the parents up from Lethbridge over the Christmas break, and then we went up to go see her side of the family in Edmonton. Okay. So short and sweet. We were only up in Edmonton for three days, but uh, same thing, little chaos, but good yeah, chaos. It is what it is. Yeah. 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 I hear you. Um, so born and raised in Lethbridge, Alberta. Yeah, born and raised. Parents born and raised in Lethbridge as well. Get out. Yeah, just like, just, uh, my dad grew up in Grassy Lake, which is probably like a 20 minute drive outside of Lethbridge. Okay. And my mom grew up in Lethbridge. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's just been home home for a lot, yeah. for a lot of Ledgerwoods. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right um, so when did soccer come on the radar? Like, when did you start playing at a pretty young age? Did you pick it up late? What yeah, was your story? It, it was pretty young. I think my family never had a background of soccer. So okay. it wasn't like my dad played, let's put him into soccer. Uh, my dad played basketball growing up and then got into golf later on. Still, still is an avid golfer. Right. But uh, yeah, they, they put me in t-ball when I was about five. And that was, a f and they said like, I was just one of those crazy kids who just kept running all over the place like i couldn't keep my position <laughs> right so they're like why hey. is the shortstop out in the outfield right? i don't know it's ledgerwood i don't know we do right talk like to so him. Was, i think it was just one of those things they were like okay well we need a sport where he can just run there's no position he just runs <laughs> what is the biggest playing surface we can find right what is <laughs> and honestly i think that's that that was it let's put him in soccer and uh i think i just grew to love it yeah you know my my neighbors played it so i think i kind of drafted towards them they were a little bit older so um you know played with them out in the front front lawn in the crescent in the back park a little right. bit and and just grew to love it isn't it amazing how you know you talk about coaching and development and all that stuff is so important but it seems like no matter what the sport is 
it's those unorganized games in the street, in the backyard, in a playground that you, I got, for me, soccer was the same thing. Like my best friend played modern soccer before I played it. And I, I remember one day we we're playing in his yard and he's like, I gotta go, I gotta go play soccer. And I was like, well, we, dude, we are playing soccer. He's like, no, I'm like, I'm on a team. I'm on a team. And he I came out with a jersey on. Yeah. And I was like, what is, what, you got a shirt? And he's like, but like we would play for hours in his yeah. yard, all of us, the whole neighborhood. And it was like, I think that's where you develop a, either that love of the game, mm -hmm. but also like just basic skills. It's like horrible oh. surfaces and just yeah. the ball is garbage. And so you, you're 100%. going uphill to start, but you're yeah. having a smile on your face. Like, like for me, it was in the back park. And I remember it was, it was a backstop from baseball diamond. And that was our net. That was the net that we'd play against. We'd play World Cup all day long. Yeah. For hours, pretending we were different players, different countries. Yeah. This and that. Being a kid. Yeah. yeah. Right? And you see it nowadays, and I think kids are getting away from that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's weird in a way where, you know, you can get to kids too early in terms of, like, you got to have a work ethic. And I think Wayne Gretzky says the same thing about you know, his dad set up the ring because Wayne wanted it. It yeah. wasn't like, Wayne, you got to get out there and do whatever. Yeah. He's coming to him like, Dad, what else can you show me? What yeah. else can I do? And I think it's got to be kid-driven to a certain age. Like, uh, they got to want to yeah. do this thing. Well, and that's – it was funny because we just did uh, the the first ever Cavalry Street Camp right. out at Spruce Meadows. And it, and it was cool because we're talking to the kids. I was like, this is where the best players in the world – develop their skills street soccer Messi, ronaldo yeah. that's where they grew up playing that's where they learned their tricks their ball skills their ball mastery as the kids call it nowadays like th this is where it happens yeah it doesn't happen on you know out in an organized 5v5 training session right no it you doesn't and, and it was cool to see the kids everybody had a ball everybody was doing their skills freestyle stuff yeah we had trick shot stations like and just to see you could see the passion and love yeah. for the game it wasn't about winning it wasn't about scoring no and and for me like you said my my dad never pushed me right like he and he, he didn't know anything about soccer so he had to educate himself to help me yeah and, th and that's what he did you know when, when i was growing up he he became my coach right it's like i learned i know enough to kind of move this along a yeah. Little bit. yeah 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 and and you know and i think for him it was he wanted to be involved in my childhood Right. And helped me grow up. And so I was like, okay, Nick loves soccer. Boom. Let's see if I can coach him. Right. Let's see if I can help him out. And let's do it. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really good point, I think, too. People, we've gone too far the other way, I think, too. And then you see kids are, like, on phones more, and it's kind of that stuff. And you, like, I drove through a, a playground area the other day, and it was, like, you know, 30 kilometers an hour or whatever. And I look over at this playground. This is in the summer, and I'm like, there is no one on that playground. Mm -hmm. Like, you can almost take the signs down, the speed signs. Yeah. Because <laughs> I have not seen a kid. kid. I drive by that every day. I have not seen a kid on that thing. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you sound like the grumpy old man. It's like, back in my day, back we in my used day, to. There, there was like 40 bikes out there, and you would just meet there, and everybody. You didn't get there early enough. You weren't getting a game. Yeah. And it was like, you know, <laughs> like, all right, okay, thanks for your advice. But I think you're right. It's like, that's that pure love, or like street hockey, like. To drive by a street and see kids playing street hockey, like I can count that on one hand that I've yeah. what, games of that I've seen over the last decade and a half. Yeah. You know, where it's, it's like it move the net car. Like it doesn't happen anymore. It's a weird and, thing. And I think it's like you said, like do we just sound like the grumpy old <laughs> yeah. but like the kids nowadays, they're so much more technical in like the tricks and the freestyle stuff they do. And I think it's because they can watch it all on YouTube, Instagram. Yeah. They they can see it they can practice it yeah they can do it whereas back in the day 
we can do like rewind a VHS of a of a game you saw. <laughs> oh, right. there was a cool trick. Let's. That's right. That's right. Like it never happened. Dude, I remember uh, Doug Sweetapple was my coach back in in Cornerbrook in Newfoundland for like he was like the head of minor soccer. I remember being at his house. Like we're talking like dude, like in the eighties, you know. So it was like Will Cover like. Dutch VHS tapes mm -hmm. and it's like and you thought you were pretty good you're like at my age like yeah I'm pretty decent like I'm comfortable in any situation and you watch these kids who are like Dutch kids who are like two years younger than you doing like bike kicks on yeah. VHS and I'm like there's no way these kids are that age like I'm pushing back on it he's like no like that's the level <laughs> I couldn't even process it. But that's how we got it. Like, no yeah. internet. So he had these tapes. He's, like, dusting them off. Like, okay, here's some drills that we're going to work on this week. And he put in this VHS tape. And I was like, what is happening? Mine's <laughs> just blown. Oh, <laughs> my. What? <laughs> and now, and, like, even buying gear was, yeah. like, I'm in a small town. I'm like, there wasn't, like, just, oh, any jersey in the world you want to wear. Like, oh, no. you want the Man United jersey? Go on down to the shop. It was, like, baseball, hockey. That was it. Like, there was no other. Yeah. There's no soccer jerseys to yeah, buy. Yeah, if you're lucky, you get, like, that one man united jersey in there or something right <laughs> yeah, exactly and i oh. guess it's like you know you live in the time you live in and yeah. the kids nowadays would have no reference point to go oh you know like oh we should be so grateful that we have they're just like hey we just live every day the way yeah we live that's it. what it is it's what we're used to yeah and we it'll be different any. for the next generation yeah we don't know any better though. yeah it's all we know um so you're getting you're playing soccer obviously enjoying it when does it get to a point where uh, it's getting highly competitive for you, and you're like, okay, now I'm you're like you're really being laser focused. It's all that matters. Yeah, from. I think, I think until I was 13, 14, you know, I played. I was the multi-sport kind of kid. You know, I in school I did badminton, volleyball, track and field, um, and then soccer. Soccer was probably the only one that I was really registered in outside of school okay the other ones were just the school sports that i would yeah. do and and be part of that but i would say probably around 13 14 when when i found out like oh there's an alberta team right oh you can get selected for the alberta team well that's cool yeah you know and i went up for the tryouts and you know of course being from lethbridge dad was driving me up two right. three times a week to like calgary red deer tryouts you know oh, man just doing that and you know you don't you don't appreciate it how much the parents are doing the work yeah at the time but now i'm like especially now with kids you're like yeah you do anything for them right yeah and, and my dad was the same way like i remember some like wednesday he knows i got school the next day we're driving up to red deer for a tryout oh, man. and then back home you know just to make just to make an alberta team but you know without that without that layer of uh you know development who knows if i if yeah. it would have happened right yeah and so so probably 13 14 made the alberta team and and for me the the biggest step we went to nationals out in Kelowna, and i was playing a year up with the alberta team and i still remember we played the maritimes the very first game yeah and i had a hell of a game right just everything every, one of those games everything kind of clicks fell in place fell in place and it happened that uh the under 15 canada coach was there watching okay and so what they did after the after the nationals and none of the players really knew the the night before we were supposed to fly home coach comes up to me and a couple other players and he goes you guys have been selected to stay after nationals and train together with the under 15 canada team they're having a select team and i was like oh awesome wow like, do my parents know? <laughs> what happens? Do I have enough underwear? Right? Like, what, oh, 
and oh. and the coach is like, yeah, we already contacted your parents. Don't worry about it. everything's good. Flights are changed. Like, don't worry, everything's yeah. good. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, I remember we went out and we did the tryouts, and the the coach Otman Abreer was his name. He was an Algerian military coach. Right is where he had his background, but he was from Montreal, and. Uh, so first team talk, he's getting everybody together. There's about 25 players from across every province. And an ambulance drives by during his team talk. And two players kind of look over and they're, they're, they're looking at the ambulance. And he looks at them and he goes, you two, go sit down. And I was like, what? He goes, he goes if that's more important than being a part of this team, you know, like, I, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Like this, this guy is serious. <laughs> so, anyways, the, the the tryouts went well. I ended up making the team. We uh, we went for our first international trip to Germany. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Like this guy was like military esque. Like he would make kids cry in training, and that's how serious. But, I, but I kind of loved it. Like I love that intensity. Okay. I love the drive, the motivation, the seriousness. The seriousness. You know, like there were times at dinners where he he wouldn't let us drink water during meals because his philosophy was like the food, the food digests better. If you don't drink water, if you don't drink water during like <laughs> you have to drink an hour and a half after meals, like little stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I believe this guy. This, yeah, this he could have told you anything. Oh, you're like, yeah, I hundred percent, hundred percent punched a person in the face next yeah, to you. You're like, yeah, yeah no, I was that so bought into it. <laughs> I was so bought into it, but that was like, that was my first real taste of it. And I think even going over to Germany, we played the youth teams from, from Schalke, München, Gladbach, and we held our own. Right. And I think that was the biggest eye opener for me being like. Yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, it's right. amazing, hey, like when you're taken, it doesn't matter what level it's at, but when you're taken and put in a different level, how if you can get comfortable at that and that you're like, oh, this feels more comfortable to me, this the seriousness of it, Yeah, it's like you know right away you're in the right place. Yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed to like if you were pushing back on stuff and like, mm. what do you mean we can't drink water? Like those people just fade away eventually. Yeah. It's like it's just not for them. It is to a certain level, but then the yeah. restrictions get so tight that they're like, "Well, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Like, why are we yeah, gonna get up I'm at five? We gotta yeah. get up at five. I don't want to do that. Sac I don't want to sacrifice. Yeah, it. I want it, but not that much. Yeah. And then those people just kind of fall away. I think, yeah. regardless of what career it is or what you know, even what level it is, it yeah. just that could have been for a city, a provincial team, whatever. And you get to the national level, and it's like, yeah, that's what's gonna be required. It's not about skill at a certain point. It's more about are you gonna buy into what we're selling here? Yeah. And some people are like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm yeah, not gonna do that. Or, or there's other stuff that ah, I don't want to sacrifice, you know, the weekends and friends yep. and, you know, uh, vacations. Yeah, to do well, it. Well, that's why I've been pushing back lately, man, on this whole phrase of, uh, you know, it's a typical phrase. People say, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm like, I think that's such bullshit because yeah. I'm like, you know, you guys, you know, Calvary FC, it's like you love what you do. There's days I'm sure you want to vomit where you're like, oh. you're doing, you're doing gym work, you're doing whatever it is. I mean, like, it's not like you walk around with a smile on your face all the time because you're doing what you love. Yeah. And I always give the example of like Sidney Crosby with a parachute on his back running up hills. It's like, that's not a happy time. Yeah. That's not a like. He doesn't love it, but yeah. he knows. Yeah. He knows if he puts in the work there. 
he'll love the outcome later on. Exactly. And I think the danger of saying that and promoting that sentence of yeah. do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life, is people who haven't found what they love are looking for that thing out there that's supposed to be just all roses and there's yeah. no effort required and I smile all day. And I'm like, that doesn't exist. No. Like there's a, there's going to come a sacrifice with and, every single thing you do, but you'll exist, feel it's worth it. If it does exist, you're probably not getting paid. You're probably not making a living <laughs> off of it. And it exactly. probably won't last very long. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's not going to pay off in the end. No. But you're like, it's smooth sailing here. Yeah, this is, this is good. great. Yeah, I'm yeah. on a beach all day. I love it. <laughs> Earn money while you sleep. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> let me check my bank account. But it's interesting you said that at an early age, you identified that. Like you were like, no, I'm all in. Like this is, yeah. this is exactly the environment I'm comfortable in and I can thrive in and I'm buying in totally. Yeah. And that's, that's just really interesting that you said that. Well, and a lot of, uh, when I like go and do team talks with like younger teams and the parents have all these questions like, you know, what diet can I get my kid on? What, what extra training, what this and that. And, you know, for me, I think, why I got to where I did was I had this internal drive. Yeah. And I, I played with a lot of players who were more skilled, much better players, and they didn't make it half as far as I did. Right. Because they didn't have this drive or passion to, to improve or be better or, you know, do extra. Yeah. So I think, and I, I don't know where I got it from, Um, you know, probably my dad or you yep. know the way he raised me my parents um but yeah that that drive and i still have it now i'll be 35 in 10 days right and i still have like like i'm at home in the off scene being like nah this is my year yeah this yeah. is my year you know year i want to make this this is my year yeah, kind of thing yeah. you know like and to there. constantly have that yeah and i don't think you can coach that it's funny i got a good friend of mine um his son's a baseball player and he's very, very talented, but he's having some of those issues now where it's like, you know, you get to a certain level, he's playing in college. Yeah. And it's like, <clears throat> the weird thing is the things that get you to a certain level may not be the same things that get you to the next level. So you have to change mm -hmm. your, reg your, yeah. like your, your rituals. You have to adapt and to it, it exactly. right? Exactly. And I think he's resisting the change to the mm -hmm. rituals. And so there's been a lot of headbutting and whatever. And it's like, that, and it all comes from that internal drive. No one can instill that in you. Like, you can have a coach sit you down and, look, this is what we need from you. And like, maybe the light goes on, but if you have that internal drive all the time anyway, you're already doing that stuff. You're not pushing back on anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just already there. And and <clears throat> when a coach says something to you, you'd be like, yeah, maybe if you, if you have that internal drive to want to be better, you'll you'll listen. Yes. It might not be the right thing, but you'll listen and be like, yeah, I'll give it a try. Yeah. I'll see if it works. I'll trust that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to well, I've never done that. I've never ever. Yeah, that doesn't, I know that, you, yeah. that's not going to work for me. No, exactly. Yeah, I don't do that. You see a lot in college basketball where guys are like, they're just, they're, they're scorers. Yeah. And then uh, the coach at Kentucky always says, he goes, yeah, you didn't play defense in high school. You know, you're at, you're at the next level now. Yeah. You will play defense or you'll sit. And guys are like sulking. And, well, you know, I put up 30 a game. It's like, I don't care what you did in high school. Yeah. Everybody here can put up 30 a game. Yeah. You're at, but, like, if you're not going to defend that guy. Yeah, you put up you 30, will... but you were liable for 35 yeah. going the other <laughs> exactly. way. You're, like, reading your stats. Like, I crush it. It's like, no, no. He had 45. Yeah. And he out-rebounded you and had six steals. So yeah. while you're over there cheering yourself on. And he goes, some kids buy in right away and they get it. And we said, we even talk about it during recruiting. Like, yeah. It ain't going to be high school, son. So you better understand we are going to push you out of your comfort zone. And if you don't totally. want to do that, don't come here. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that level of do you understand what it's going to take? And a lot of kids, I think, especially when you're young, in any career, I found it in stand-up the same thing. They're like, well, I, I want to put in this much effort. And if, then you go, yeah, well, that's not enough effort. And they're like, well, that's yeah. the hardest I've ever worked. 
and I'm saying, I know it is, and I'm telling you, it's still not still enough. Still not enough. And that's hard for people to accept. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like, well, what do you mean? I, 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 I'm doing stuff I never did before. And it's like, mm hmm, I believe you, mm -hmm. but we need even more from yeah. you. And that's a hard pill for people to swallow. Oh, yeah. Especially as a kid. And, and I think nowadays, you know, go back to like social media and, and stuff like that, where everybody's getting this, these likes and, you know, from, from the outside world of like yeah they're getting the love but it's like it's not enough no it's not enough and that doesn't last oh it doesn't last at all <laughs> and, it, and the other thing too the danger i've met with all that is it's immediate yeah and i'm like that's not really how the life how life works no like that gym session that work you're not going to see the dividends of that for a long time you know what i mean like it's yeah. like but if you can't or i put in this effort and right away i want to see how i got better it's like no, it takes time, and there's going to be setbacks, and you go backwards yeah. a bit, and then you go forward yeah. again. Everybody wants the instant results, right? Exactly. They're not but willing to put in the, you know, like, like well, it's, it's what they say, what is it, 21 days to create the habits yeah. and, and stuff like that. I, nobody, you know, there's a very few people that stick to that 21 days yep. before they create habits, you know, to change That's the way they're are. training or eating or sleeping or, you know, just yep. those little small increments. Definitely, yeah. Well, resilience, I think, you know, is another way of framing it when you're talking about work ethic and that drive. It's like just that, because within what your journey, I'm sure, there were setbacks. There were times where you didn't have a great performance yeah. or a training session was shit or whatever it was. And I think it's that ability to kind of dust that off quickly, learn from it, and then still give more effort the yeah. next day as opposed to feeling bad for yourself and excuses and mm -hmm. the coach this and that guy, whatever. Yeah. It's like looking in the mirror and owning it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I got to be better. And totally. that's on me, totally. Um, all right, so you get to, you're under 15, you go to Germany, you have a good time over there, you guys do well as a group, you come back, what happens? Come back, and that's kind of when I first caught the eye of uh the calgary storm mm. so that was the semi-professional prep i'll say professional team that was in in calgary for their small stint and i was in lethbridge at the time and the the coach thomas neendorf uh approached me and my parents and said you know would would you be willing to move up to calgary and how old were you this time i was 16. oh wow so you're pretty young still yeah, yeah 16. um you know would you move up to calgary and you you know to be a part of professional soccer and for me it was yeah let's do it yeah yeah sure and my dad uh my dad was like look if that's your if that's your dream if that's your goal if this is gonna move you that step closer to your dream my dad was always ones like chase it chase your dream as long as you can if awesome. it's still realistic my mom on the other side what about school yeah well, you know like what about his schooling what about his education what about you know god he's 16 yeah do we want to let him go up to Calgary? So there was a lot of push and pull, uh, I guess, between my parents. Not so much that I heard of it. Right. But behind closed now, doors. Yeah, behind so. hearing about it now. Yeah. When they, I, I can't believe we let you go when you were 16. I don't know about this. Right? Calgary's <laughs> huge. Have you been on Deerfoot? <laughs> so, you know, after a few talks with the coaches, he came down to Lethbridge, met the, my mom and dad, and, you know, said, yeah, let's give it a try. Let's see. Uh, moved up to Calgary and and played with the Calgary Storm and it was part of the A League, which back then was pretty much the only professional soccer league in North America. Right, like it was crazy. There was four teams across Canada, so there was the the Whitecaps, Calgary Storm, 
uh, Toronto Lynx yep. at the time in the Montreal Impact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was the four professional teams in Canada, and uh, played together with. Tommy Wielden Jr. Crazy. So that's, yeah, that's how our kind of, how far back our relationship goes. Amazing, amazing. For and those of you listening who don't know, because you, <laughs> I don't know, you're not aware of the world's happenings, Tommy Wielden Jr. is the head coach and GM of Calgary FC. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so I played a year with them. Uh, they kind of went through some rocky investor type failures that you know couldn't really hold on to the team the team flipped its name over to the calgary mustangs yes i remember this and thomas neendorf who brought me up to calgary um stayed true to his word about you know trying to get me over to europe okay and so he had his contacts through what he had done with owen hargraves with Bayern munich yep and when i was 17 the summer of when i was 17 he got me a trial with Bayern munich wow so he got me a trial with Bayern Munich, uh, München Gladbach, and 1860 Munich when I was over there. So I was kind of ignorant to the whole, what what is Bayern Munich? Right. Like I'd watched him on TV yeah, yeah. kind of thing. But um, so when I went over there, didn't speak a word of German, 17 and a half, uh, put me up, they put me up in a hotel and said, you got to be at you got to be to training at this time. And so it's just you that goes over? Your folks just don't go? Just me that went over. My right. folks didn't go. Uh, there was a there was an agent that kind of mediated the whole transition right. of me being over there. So he was the one that looked after me uh, while I was over there. But for the most part, I was on my own. Had to make it to the training grounds by myself. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was, it was crazy. And I, I think it was good that I was a little ignorant to the whole situation. Or else I think I would have been so nervous and overwhelmed and overwhelmed with everything that, uh, you know, I think I would have shit myself. Yeah. Honestly. Like, what is happening? Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the trial went, the trial went good with Bayern Munich. Um, the first four days I trained with their under 19 team. Mm -hmm. The, the fifth day was with the reserve team and the first team was on international break. Okay. And they said for the last day of the trial, they're like, you can train with the first team. So I'm 17 years old. And they said, you can go train with the first team. There was about 10 players that were still there that weren't on international duty. Right. And some of the reserve players came up. And that was the first time that I had trained and had like fans and spectators ar around the gated area watching, taking pictures. Insane. Training. And yeah. It was it was an unbelievable experience. I like I'll never I'll never forget that experience. Um, you know, and the coach comes up to me afterwards and he goes, he goes, you're a good player. Like, you know, we 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 didn't expect you know that, but he goes at Bayern Munich we sign players who have international pedigree and that we know are going to move up in two three years to the first team. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I get it. Yeah, I get yeah. it. And I knew myself that I wasn't like I wasn't at that level yet. Right. Yeah. I wasn't there yet. Yeah. And uh, luckily enough, the uh, the fitness coach of the reserve team, his I think it was his his brother or his cousin, worked with 1860 Munich, which was literally right across the street. Oh wow. Okay. And that was the biggest rivalry in Munich, probably one of the biggest rivalries back back yeah. in the eighties, nineties in in Germany. Yeah, I'm sure. And through that contact, they said, "Hey, have a look at this kid," and you know maybe he's something for your guys' youth team. And yep. I went over to 1860 Munich, had a four day trial, and signed 
crazy, dude. Signed a contract there. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So the first contract was a, a two year plus a two year option. So it was two years with the youth team to, to move up. So uh, it was under 19 uh, youth team to hopefully then make it to the reserve team plus a, a two year option. Right. And everything worked out awesome. You know, I did the first year, moved up to the reserve team. Uh, and then when I was 21, made my debut with, with the first team. Dude, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so wild because as you're talking about it, I'm like, I don't know why, but I just kept thinking about your parents. I'm like, if your folks don't agree that, you know, okay, we're going to let them go to Calgary because that's where it starts. So yeah. You get the contact there. That contact then has contacts in Germany. Then you go over. Not only that, then they have to let you go to Germany as a 17-year-old by yourself with this agent that they don't, they're like, who is going to be meeting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go live in a hotel. You don't speak German. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think sometimes we overlook that and, and uh, you know, I'm not, <clears throat> obviously not discounting your hard work and your sacrifice, but I'm just like, as a kid and with parents pulling the strings, how brave of them and how much faith to go like, oh, he's following his dream. 100%. We're going to support it. They yeah. could have nixed that at any point and went like, Nick, you know, I get it, but Germany is the other side of the world. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not letting my youngest kid. I can't. I, I'm worried. I'm scared to death. And, like, we're talking, you know, we're not doing FaceTime back then, right? You weren't, nope. like, just, oh, hey, what's I, going on, Mom? Like, I went down to the corner store, got a calling card. Right? Like, yeah, and that's old what it, school. That's what it was, old school calling card, you know, and, and we would talk, you know, once or twice a week. Right. But I think I think the the transition through Calgary was the biggest thing for me because – for me to go straight from Lethbridge to Germany, I don't think I, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Right. So you come up here, live on your own. Come a up here, bit. live on my own. I lived with a couple other guys, Lars Hirschfeld. Oh, right on. Cool. That's yeah, because <laughs> he played at the Calgary, Calgary Storm at the time, um, you know. And I learned to kind of be on my own, but in in a good environment with some other guys. Right. Couple, they were older guys. They they looked after me great, and so I think without that stepping stone, I wouldn't have been able to to go right from Lethbridge to Germany. Yeah. I wouldn't have happened because even then when I was in Germany, there were, there were days where I was like in tears. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm like, I have all my friends back home, my oh. friends, my family, you know, I grew up in like a very, just a safe yeah. surrounding, right? A good environment. And you know, the, the one time I, I remember the, you know, I was in tears and the, the youth director comes up to me and he goes, he goes, you miss home, hey? I'm like, yeah. I, I, I was like, I need to call my parents. Like, I need to, I need to talk to them. I need to talk. He goes, he goes, don't call them. He goes, when you're having fun, when you're in a good mood, call your parents. He goes, when you're down, when you're, you know, that's, it's gonna make you miss them that much more. You'll, you'll associate being sad and homesick right. with, you know, call your parents when you're in a good, when you after a good game, after you know a good training session, when things are good, talk to your parents. You'll be upbeat about it. You won't miss it as much. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was like the German, the, his philosophy to all the foreigners, right? Like, right. To try and beat that homesickness. Yeah. And, I get it. And and he was he was a great guy. He looked after all the foreigners, all the you know the youth team players that were there, and you know I think a big thing in in Germany was to get involved in the culture right away. Right. The language. Uh, when I went over there, I had four hours of German every morning oh, for really? the first six months. Yeah. Four hours. Four hours. So I went eight to 12 in the morning at a language school because all the other players were still in school. So right. they would go do their schooling in the morning. I would do language school and then we would meet up in the afternoon and train. Right. 
So on the pitch, we talking German. Yeah. 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 All the calls and stuff were like, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple other foreigners that we would, a uh, couple kids from South Africa that were there, uh, one kid from Scotland, and we'd speak, obviously, English to each other. Right. And hang out. But for the most part, like, the coaches wouldn't speak English. You just had to Understand. hop in line and... And even that, dude, as a young person, I mean, you take the soccer out of it. Yeah. It's like you're living in another country. You are now taking four hours a day of another language. It's like you were getting education in the world. Like it's like soccer is like amazing. But like, look, look, who else at that age is 17? You sign a contract. You have a job yeah. working in another country. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like, oh, here, you're going to take these language classes and learn German. And amazing. It's amazing. Um so when you're living there, you get there. Are you living on your own? Or are you in a... Yeah, so they put us up in... It was almost like a sports dorm. Okay. So everybody has their own bedroom, bathrooms, but you have a communal kitchen. Okay. Um, and so there was about, about 20 players that would stay there from... Most of them from different parts of Germany. Right. And then there was probably four or five foreigners that lived there as well. Okay. And so everybody commuted together with on the on the train to the training grounds. Unreal. Back and uh, it was funny. My my parents came over. I think it was it was almost a year, a year after I'd been there was their first trip over to to see me. And by that time I'd moved I'd moved out of the dorms into my own apartment. Right. But my mom wanted to see where I lived. Right. So I took my mom and dad there, and and my mom almost broke down in tears. No way. Because she's like. Her biggest thing was like, I let you leave home and this is where you lived <laughs> right, for a year. This like, what have I done? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but You're like, no, and I'm like, I'm like, honestly, mom, like if, if you wouldn't have done it, I don't know where I would like, yeah. you know, I probably would have gone the university route and yeah. played there and hopefully, you know, maybe drafted into the MLS or something like that. But yep. that, that wasn't even around when when I left, so it wasn't even an option. Wasn't even a thing on the table. No. And what if she comes over, I'm, I'm thinking like, what if the folks are like, okay, he's going to Germany, we gotta go with him to get him set up. Yeah. And they show up and that's what they see. Maybe uh, they go like, oh, Nick. Like, no, he's this, coming home. This, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, this is sorry. not what we thought. Like, get in the cab, yeah, we're heading yeah, back we're, to the we're done. But because they weren't there, it's kind of like, yeah. all right, sink or swim, like yeah. I'm gonna figure it out. Amazing, dude. It's yeah. a twist of fate, you know, like mm -hmm. where you're like, yeah, what if this choice is made? How much different are things going forward, you know? So yeah. it's amazing. So you're there. You're now, you have your own apartment. You're a professional soccer player. You're playing for the team. Yeah. Walk me through your time there. What, how does that unfold? Um, so I love Munich. Like the, uh, I associated, you know, Germany, Europe with Munich because that was the first place I went to. I thought Europe was all that beautiful. Like Munich is an unbelievable city. And I always assumed that every soccer or every football club was like, like, like Munich, 1860 right. Munich. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough that the first year that I played with, with the professional team, the first team, they, that was their first year that they moved into the stadium with Bayern Munich. So oh, they wow. shared Allianz Arena Crazy. with Bayern Munich. So, so I made my debut in Allianz Arena. Gosh. You know, the stadium holds 65,000 people. It was it, it was nuts, and for the first year, I mean, 1860, they would average around 35, 40,000 fans. But for the first year, everybody came because they wanted to see the new stadium. Yeah. It was it was the newest thing, right? So so there were games where we'd play in front of 60,000 fans in this unbelievable stadium in the second Bundesliga. Yeah, 
you know, and then we'd go to away trips and play in a stadium that, you know, held like 10,000, 12,000, right, which yeah, was yeah. still cool, but it was like our stadium was unbelievable World because class. we shared it with Bayern Munich. Yeah. You know, and and those so I ended up staying in in Munich for 6 years. Had had some ups and downs. Yeah. Obviously, I got got injured at the wrong time. Snapped my ankle. Oh wow. Yeah, we uh we had a, a first team game against Kaiserslautern. I was on the bench, didn't play. So the coach goes, do you want to go play with the reserve team the next day right. to get minutes? And he, and he said, I'm going to send down five or, five or six of the guys just to get minutes, get playing time. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. 20 minutes into the game, I go into a tackle. Brutal. Snap the ankle. Brutal. And so that was, that was a tough one because I was on the way of just breaking into the first team, getting right. minutes. And I was like, oh, you know, like... And that set me back, you know, probably a good six months right. of, of development. And and six months doesn't seem like a long time in the in the big sheen of right things. But for development at that age, yeah. It's it's a lot of time and And trying to get that foot in the door to establish yourself. Yeah. That's six precious months gone. Yeah. yeah. And then so to come back after the injury, they sent me out on loan to another second division club to get minutes and which was which ended up working out really well I went on loan played every game got minutes came right. back after the season to 1860 again right re-signed for two more years cool so uh definitely had a great experience there at 1860 munich and then after that it was kind of hopping around germany a little bit just you know any any of the guys that i talked to that have played there are still playing there it's it's a constant grind. Yeah. You know, and I think it's a constant grind unless you play in the first Bundesliga. Right. Unless you make it to that top peak of, you're you know. looking for a job. You're looking for a job. You're trying to establish. And, and you know, the second division, third division, like, it's, it's such a competitive league. Like, every week, every training session, like, there were games on the weekend where I was like, I hope I don't, I hope I don't start. Really? Cause my body was so like in such pain and just like achy and tired and worn down. I was like, I know I can't give a good performance. Right. Because I've been, you know, going into tackles all week to try and make sure I'm in the starting 11. Right. You know, so I, it was that mentality that, you know, uh, people don't understand. Yeah. And there's the, the bonus structure, the salary structure in the lower leagues is, you know, everybody's on a lower wage but your bonuses for playing and winning right. are that much higher. So, so it creates this, you know, fight for jobs within the team, you know, which kind of clashes with the team morale, team yeah, spirit, yeah, you sure. know, kind of thing like that. Cause, cause I need to make money. Yeah. And the next guy, the guy next to you needs to make money too, but you, you guys play the same position. Yeah. Right. So it's that fight week in week out of trying to start games, you know, guys almost going through injuries to start games to make bonuses, Just to get money, to crazy, you know, and it's it's all that little stuff that people don't know. When you watch a game on TV, you're like, oh, they're all happy, they're playing, you know, right? Yeah, they win, but the five guys on the bench are pissed off because they didn't make money or they didn't play or they didn't make the same amount of money, right? So they're going to be thrown in tackles all next week in training yeah, to yeah. get in. They like, get in. It, there's so much more to it. Yeah, and so I had a, I had a good stint in Germany. I was there for. For 11 years oh wow altogether it's a long time yeah yeah and i went second division and third division okay is where 
where I bounced around to the third division clubs that I played with were all very high traditional clubs, Duisburg, Cottbus, what? um, team, uh, Frankfurt teams that had, you know, that ambition to go up. They always wanted to go up. They had a g- real good fan base. And, uh, so, you know, everybody said, Oh, you played third division Germany. It's, and I was like third division. Germany is probably the best third third division in the world yeah in my opinion high caliber i'm sure yeah you know and it's funny i was talking to one of my friends last night and he goes how many players do you think play in the fifth division in germany because we were kind of talking about you know players chances of going over and the pyramid and i was like i don't know like 250 300 players he goes he goes over five thousand players are signed in the fifth division that's amazing and he goes he goes, imagine what it takes from that to get to the fourth division. And then from the fourth division to even get to the third, you know, yeah, like it's crazy. The, the pyramid over there is, is crazy of talent. Right. And, yeah. and, and people don't understand that, uh, you know, how much it takes not only to get over there, but to stay, yeah. to keep your foot in the door. Yeah. And so, you know, I think what, the biggest thing that I learned in Germany was like the discipline, the work ethic, yeah, that mentality. And, and sometimes it drives me crazy a little bit coming back to North America because yeah. it's a different, it's different mentality over here. You know, the, the characteristics of some of the guys are different. And, and even I have to like watch what I say sometimes because it'll come across as too, too harsh or too yeah. militaristic. Yeah. Like what's that guy's problem? Like, you know totally. I mean? like, yeah. Cause I'm coming from this mindset of like, dude, it's funny when you're saying this. Cause I think I look at it now as a stand up and like actor and stuff. I'm like. I don't know if you felt this as an athlete. Like, I always feel like there's just a window of time. And so I don't have time to make excuses because this is the window I have to work with. And if you don't, like, drain every ounce of talent and energy and effort you have now, eventually the window gets so closed and it's like there's nothing left. And you sit around at a bar somewhere going, ah, shit, you know, if I only cared more and I would have put in more effort. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like you probably would have developed that mindset over there of like, mm-hmm. look, we're fighting for paychecks here yeah. and you're fighting for a career. And maybe that mentality over here, maybe because the league is new and different things, yeah. people are like, well, you know, I'm kind of putting a foot in the water and yeah, we'll see how we'll it goes. See. And you know, yeah. easy if not piece. this year, next year, yeah, yeah, relax, dude, relax. It's yeah. no big deal. Whereas you're like, no, you don't understand. Like you yeah. got to eat. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It was funny. Uh, after I, I was in, I was in, Germany for I think it was nine years and I said I need I need something new I need something new my contract had come to an end and uh, Greg Bearhalter, the coach for the US national team now yeah so I played with him at 1860 Munich and at the time he's he was quite a bit older than me he was head coach of Hammerby in Stockholm and I was like I need something new uh, so I rang him up and I said hey you know like I'm out of contract mm-hmm. You know, would would you give me a shot? Have a look at me. There you go, part one with Nick Ledgerwood. What a great dude, and uh, what an interesting journey he's had so far in the world of soccer. Amazing that a Canadian, it's a Canadian success story. It really is. When a guy can start in Lethbridge, Alberta, which is not a big city for those of you who don't know, and you end up playing professional soccer in Germany and making a career, and now you're still 
you know, in your mid thirties and still playing pro soccer. It's like, it's, it is a Canadian success story. So part two of my conversation with Nick, uh, he gets a bit more into his specific time with, um, Calgary FC and kind of how the, you know, the original, the first season went and, uh, we get into all that stuff. So, uh, come on back next week for part two with Nick Ledgerwood. Thanks again for listening it means the world. I do appreciate all the feedback, those emails, comments, uh, for the generous podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. So you're getting all the new episodes and you can go back to the back catalog and, and listen to some old episodes that you haven't heard. Um, like I said, we have people from all different walks of life and different career paths. And I think uh, there's a lot of great nuggets in there and some great conversations that were had over the years. Thanks again for your support. And uh, don't forget tickets for the Hunt for Happy Tour. Tell your crew, tell your family, tell your co-workers, tell people you don't even know. Tell people you're in a lineup at Tim Hortons. You're like, hey, you going to that Hunt for Happy Tour? What a great way to break the ice. Hmm? with the gift of laughter you're welcome anyway thanks again thanks for listening and uh drop on back next week on the gp